Hello and welcome into another episode of the Lions Lair. I am your host, John Sauber, and I am joined by Kyle J. Andrews. Kyle, how are you doing today? I'm doing really well. You know, um, we had a lot of stuff go on in uh, State College this week, um, you know, in terms of the NIL, uh, in terms of uh, just, you know, your, your stories came out about uh, about the depth chart breakdowns and then you know, we had some we had some guys from Penn State get drafted. So, I mean, it's been a uh, ton of news on a uh, July uh, in a, in the middle of July. You know, we, we usually think about this time as like uh, is you know, MLB All Star. Yeah, we're supposed so. to be relaxing right now. I don't know. I don't know who decided that we're going to do things all of a sudden. To, uh, personally, I wish we would have kept the MLB draft in early June just to save you and I, you know, a little bit more free time in July. Uh, I think it would have been a lot better. You know, I I don't hate it. I don't hate it one bit, truthfully. I think it makes it a little bit more interesting. And uh, the other thing, too, is that we had it on uh, ESPN. I thought that was a little cool added touch to it that they hadn't really done in in the past. And I think more people have actually cared about it now. So maybe ESPN might carry it uh, in the next couple of years, too. Yeah, I think there's a chance that that it starts to expand and uh, we'll get into some more MLB draft stuff later because there was some obviously Penn State baseball guys taken a little a, a Penn State football player taken too, which I think is interesting and uh, worth touching on. But we'll start where, where we've been starting of late, uh, you know, with these depth chart breakdowns. We're going position by position, looking at at Penn State football, and and today we're going to start with the uh, the defensive line, a a group that you know, has has plenty of snaps to replace from last season, right? Like uh, Adafi Owe is, is now with the Baltimore Ravens. Shaka Tony is now with the Washington football team. Antonio Shelton is with the Florida Gators, and that's three of the team's four starters from last year. Uh, that is a lot of snaps that you have to replace. Now, they generally uh, sort of platoon guys, right? Like they go with these swaps of four in and four out at the same time. So they're, they're bringing in uh, – you know, starters that, that have game experience, at least this isn't going to be fresh for everybody. Uh, but it's, it's a it's sort of a mixing and matching of, of young and old here and transfers and guys that have been here. I think that makes sort of the dynamic along the defensive line, really, really interesting. Uh, so I'll, you know, I'll leave it up to you, whether you want to start with defensive tackle, defensive end, wherever, what, what do you think about this group and, and where it stands heading into 2021? Well, I like the defensive tackle group with P.J. Mustafer and uh, Hakeem Beeman. Um, you know, Beeman played played a ton. Uh, and uh, that was one thing that I think that, like you were saying, guys have played in multiple games that are coming in and filling these holes. And I think, you know, the, the fact that the dude's athletic, I mean, he's not, he's not like one of those old school defensive tackles that are just, you know, clogging up space and that's about it. Um, I think we can we can get after the quarterback if I'm a defense if I'm their defensive coordinator now I'm thinking okay well we can get after the quarterback with this guy as one of our D tackles um, you know he's not a big dude he's six foot three 273 pounds really lean you know I don't hate that because now you're looking at a situation where if they want to get a little bit creative on a defensive line and you know use a NASCAR package so to speak um, where you know, you just have one down lineman in the in the middle, and then the rest of the guys that can, you know, you can just attack with a bunch of linebackers and and defensive ends using them as you know down linemen. I mean, I'm if I'm the if I'm the defensive coordinator, I don't hate it. I I really don't. So, you know, I think he's 
he's going to be a very good fit for that for that defense, I believe. And then, you know, P.J. Mustafer is P.J. Mustafer. He's been there. He's done that. So I don't think it's anything to worry about with him. Yeah, and they, they contrast each other really well with a one technique and a three technique. Like you said, Beeman's going to be the guy that gets upfield. He's going to be the one that's trying to, to rush the quarterback. That being said, P.J. Mustafer can still collapse the pocket from the interior, which I think matters quite a bit. Uh, you know, he's he's a big, strong kid. He was a, a wrestler in high school and uses that leverage really well. And you can tell when he, the way he uses his hands, like this is a kid that had to use his hands when he wrestled, right? And I think he was a state champ in Maryland. Don't quote me on that. I believe that was the case, though. Uh, at the very least, he was a good wrestler in high school. Um, but, yeah, uh, he he sort of has the physicality, the athleticism, the the pure bulk and size to to eat up space if the team needs him to that that he's a one technique but he's not a traditional one in, in, in the sense that he's not just going to eat up space uh right like like they're going to use him to push the pocket they're going to use him in situations where he can rush the passer a little bit uh and hakeem beeman the the versatility is there to play defensive end too if they really need to if they go to a three front and and maybe a uh, guy we'll talk about in a bit, Arnold Abichetti comes in as a stand-up rusher. Then you can sort of move uh, Beam into the outside and let him rush against tackles. He's got the strength and athleticism to do that. Uh, it remains to be seen if he's going to be the immediate starter here. I projected him as the starter because I, it's really hard to ignore that upside, right? Like even even with the backups and Derek Tangelo, who rushed the passer a little bit for Duke last year and kind of has some of that same uh, pass rushing ability, there's less upside with Tangelo, and I think you're sort of buying into the future with Beeman by starting him. The other backup being Fred Hansard, who's a traditional space eater. He's going to go out there. He's going to occupy two blocks. He's going to free things up for the defensive ends. He's going to free things up for Beeman. Uh, he's not someone I expect to, to take Beeman snaps or anything like that or to be fighting with him for those snaps. That's, you know, it'll be him and Mustafer that are, uh, you know, your more traditional one techniques. And you'll see Beeman and, and Tangelo's guys that are three techs. And I think that, that, provides an interesting dynamic because you can you can go to these pass rush units right like they have in the past Penn State used to bump Etor Grossmatos down to defensive tackle in rushing situations and and let him attack from the interior to get an extra defensive end on the field you you don't have to do that necessarily to get your best pass rushers on the field because Hakeem Beeman is one of your best pass rushers pretty quickly uh, and, and I think he's got a chance to be one of the most productive defensive tackles from a sacks and tackles for loss standpoint and just a pure disruption standpoint that that we've seen in, in a little bit at Penn State. Yeah, and and not to mention right behind him is Eamon Vanover. And I, I think, you know, he's another guy that kind of fits that uh, beam and type of uh, role where he's a little bit more versatile and you can use him in a bunch of different places. And I know he still has some weight to put on because he's, you know, still a, uh, a just coming out of high school. So, um, you know, when you got a young guy like that who can who can kind of fit into those roles, I mean, it, it doesn't necessarily help. I mean, it doesn't necessarily hurt to, um, you know, get a little bit more versatile and start doing a little some some different things on that defensive front. Yeah, and, and with Amin Vanover, like you said, it's he's a little bit undersized right now, but he's not too much smaller than than Hakeem Beeman is. I do think he needs a little bit more strength, a little more functional play strength to have this sort of inside-out role that Beeman can take. That being said, he was a uh, he was highly thought of at a high school. He, I believe he came down to Penn State in Georgia at the end when he made his decision, or when he ended up enrolling at Penn State, I should say. Um, just uh, again, another versatile, talented guy who can play inside or outside. That that level of versatility 
along your defensive front can be so, so important. It can open the game up in so many ways. It allows you to attack defensive or offensive lines in so many ways. If you want, if you want guys that can sort of just be, uh, you know, space occupiers, maybe you're facing Iowa or Wisconsin in week one, and you're trying to sort of just eat up that space uh, and not let uh, them run all over you, then you could theoretically put uh, Hansard and Mustafer out there. Mustafer could play a three technique if you want him to and be more of a penetrator, but those teams are going to try and run it down your throat anyways. So you might just want the size up there. You might just want Mustafer and, and Tangela or Mustafer and, uh, and Hansard up there just uh, occupying that space, freeing up the linebackers to get their job done and, and opening things up in general for the defense. Or maybe you're, you're facing Ohio State who, for whatever reason, has decided to throw the ball all over the field, which they're capable of doing, as well as running the ball with, with Master Teague and potentially Travion Henderson this year. So, But if you face a pass-heavy attack, then you could put Beeman and uh, Vanover out there, and all of a sudden you have two really good pass rushers. Again, Beeman and Tangelo accomplishes the same thing. Theoretically, Beeman and, and Mustafer accomplishes the same thing, even if Mustafer isn't as good of a pass rusher as those guys. So they're going to have a lot of a lot of versatility in the interior that allows them to do things on the uh, on the exterior that that they wouldn't be able to do otherwise. And I think that starts with Arnold Abiketti and Adisa Isaac, who were both really good pass rushers, who we saw stand up a little bit as stand up edge rushers in the uh, in the two spring practices that I saw on this in uh, I think it was April at this point. But the uh, the the ability of those guys to get to the quarterback is going to be crucial. Uh, Ebiketti and Isaac need to be able to put pressure on quarterbacks. Uh, you know, we'll see if it happens. They're both very talented, but, but what do you think about the, the edge guys that, that this group sort of has right now? Yeah, I think both of them are, you know, the, the ability to rush the passer comes at a premium. Right. Um, but the only thing is, will these guys be able to, to stop the run at times? And I know some, some teams in this, and in this league, of course, can you know pound the ball down your throat. We all know that. We all see the Iowas and the and the Wisconsins of the world that you know love running the ball north and south. You know, not a lot of east west running, but when they do run east to west, I mean, how how good can your your defensive end seal them? You know, and I think that these guys have to they have to show that they can set the edge when on a defensive at each end position. Um, so I want to see what will happen with, with these guys. And I think Ebiketti, when I, when I look at him, I mean, he, he, he had a lot of experience at Temple, you know, I mean, he, he it wasn't like, he, it wasn't like he's just coming into this with, uh, you know, naked, I guess, for lack of a better term. Like he, he understands like, you know, he's been at a different program. He's had the scrape and claw because, I mean, you're coming from Temple to Penn State. You have to fight against other guys that are just as talented as you are. Um, so I, I'm I'm, in, I'm interested to see what he has. Um, and then when it comes to Isaac, you know, Isaac has shown that he has he has a couple. I mean, he, he has a flash in a pan of uh, of talent, you know. So I, I've seen some things from him that I'm like, OK, this guy, he can he can he has shown some some uh talent in the past anyway and then not to mention the fact that you know the guy is lengthy you know he can get out extend his hands 
And if he can keep guys off of him, I think that's where he's going to excel the most. He just needs to have good hand placement. And as long as he gets on the inside of those, you know, and extend against those long defensive, I mean, offensive tackles, I think that's where he's going to excel the most. And I think his speed is going to do him some justice. Yeah, I think there's there's an apt comparison to be made to Odafe Owe uh, here with, with the athleticism and the length. Uh, I'd say a more experienced football player than, than Owe was. Owe, I think, played basketball until he was 16 or 17. Isaac's played longer than that. Uh, but you're, you're right about Isaac, and, and you mentioned those sort of flashes in the pan with the talent. Two years ago when, when Penn State went to College Park and beat Maryland 59-0, Isaac came in late and had a sack and a half, a forced fumble, finished with four tackles, like had an excellent game uh, for, for Penn State in limited snaps. Now, the level of competition being Maryland had their backups in at that point is, you know, it, it, it's, it's important to note because this was not against starting level talent. That being said, he was still a true freshman at the time. This was his, his first major, major game action. He'd played a little bit against Idaho and Buffalo in the, in the weeks leading up to the, to that game, but, but still it was an important step, I think, in showing that he can, he can be a high level pass rusher uh, if, if he puts it all together. And, and so when you see that flash in the pan, it indicates this is repeatable, right? Like this is not just uh, you know, a one-off. He was using his hands really well in that game. He blew up the offensive tackles just with his sheer athleticism and, and power. Uh, you know, you always hear people talk about speed to power and how it translates. I think that's one of the big things that he has. He, he gets inside of guys, like you said, and that speed is suddenly knocking guys off balance and they can't stay in their set. And, and all of a sudden they're, they're off balance and they're just quickly shed it out of the way. Uh, and, and he's, you know, on the quarterback, but he's got to improve on the production from last year, only a sack and a half. And what, you know, there were more snaps for him last year than there were as a, uh, for him as a freshman. So he's got to improve off of that. But I do think if we're talking about a breakout candidate, maybe on this entire defense, it's Isaac. Like there's, there's a chance this is his last year at Penn state because he's a day one or day two pick next year. If everything goes, goes correctly for him. Um, you know, who knows how likely that is. Things change all the time. And, and the world of the NFL draft is I'm sure if you look at a mock draft right now, half of the first round that goes in the 2022 NFL draft will not be projected there right now. So uh, things can change quickly. So tough to project too far out in front, but from a Penn state standpoint, the production should be there for him. He's better against the run than Ebiketti is, I would say. Uh, like you said, it's important for them to set the edge and to sort of be a force player, right? You, you want to force them back to the inside of the field when, when a team's running outside the tackles. He's got the size and strength to do that, to, to force the issue, uh, no pun intended. But uh, I think Ebiketti is where you're a little bit more concerned about that and why we might see some of that sort of stand-up edge rushing where they're just playing up opposite ball side, right? So, like, the only way they'd be running at him would be if they run a counter and attack him off the edge. He's not as big as as Isaac is, doesn't have the amazing speed that Isaac does. But that being said, I, I still think he's a very good athlete. I still think he's going to make life difficult for opposing offensive tackles and be an important part of this group. Uh, two great starters, quite frankly, uh, potentially for for Penn State this year. That's that's going to be really important. Uh, I think I think the questions come after those two starters, right? And we we sort of don't know what what they have. Nick Tarburton has not been able to stay healthy at all, uh, and, and he's a, a redshirt junior this year, going into his fourth season on campus. He's got to stay on the field more than anything. He's just got to stay on the football field. If he can't do that, then kind of nothing else matters as much uh, because he could have all the talent in the world. If he's not playing, he's not playing. 
But if he's out there, he's a he's a linebacker uh, convert who who has sort of the the body to play defensive end, the strength to pull through guys. Uh, really good athleticism for for his sort of bulkiness, right? Like you'd, you'd think someone that size would lack a lot of flexibility. Still not amazingly flexible uh, in getting bent around the edge, but still a good athlete and flexible enough. Uh, it just remains to be seen how much we're going to see him play. You know, you, you hope the kid stays healthy. You never want to see any anyone get hurt, but uh, he hasn't proven that he's been able to stay healthy at this point. So it's, it's a pretty big question mark. And then, of course, Smith Filbert's the other guy here who is like just – oozing upside right like, like smith vilbert is a massive human being uh who had not played a ton of football and is now heading into his third year at penn state and and has a chance to like to really explode on the scene uh for the nittany lines if he can sort of put everything together he uh you know he, he he's 6'6 256 incredibly long arms you he he honestly looks like you could put another 50 pounds on him and he's going to look exactly the same he does now he has that kind of frame at defensive end uh sort of a, a carlos dunlap type of frame for those who are nfl fans and watch the former florida gator when he was at florida but that's that's the kind of imposing presence that he has um a big physical athlete just again got to put it all together uh Played in four games last season, so still wasn't factoring into the rotation a ton. But he was another guy they used in that sort of stand-up edge rule, and I I would think it's because they believe in the athleticism, they believe in the ability to beat tackles one-on-one. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. But the backup situation is definitely a little bit more uh, tenuous than the starting situation is for Penn State. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you on that, and uh, you know I, I think that it's going to be interesting to see what some of the younger guys can do. You know, like you said about Zariah Fisher, Fisher is another guy that I'm kind of interested to see what he can do. Um, just considering the fact that one like Tar Burton, like you said, I mean, like you said in your article, he's a, he was a former linebacker and having a guy with that kind of athleticism at that defensive end position. I mean, that always kind of wreaks havoc, right? You know, if you got to have a bigger, if you got to have a quicker guy at defensive end and just cause problems for offensive tackles, you know, you love to have that. But at the same time, these are guys that are inexperienced. Um, so, you know, this might be the year, okay, they cut their teeth. And that doesn't hurt for the long run. I think in the long run, you might be getting some more guys that, um, you know, are, are, are a little bit more, I guess what you would expect from a, a Penn State defensive end, right? So in the next couple of years, you're probably going to get a couple more guys that have had that, uh, you know, they've been highly ranked and, and stuff coming out of high school. And now they have a chance to, um, you know, kind of fill into that rotation, kind of like how Curtis Jacobs did at outside linebacker. You know, maybe it, you have a situation like that with a um, – you know, with the defensive end and defensive tackle. So it's it's gonna be a it's gonna be an interesting year just based off of the fact that we have a lot of guys here in this rotation that it either could be hit or miss, you know. And I, I think it leans towards hit because of the way that they they've shown they've shown flashes in the past. And if those yeah. flashes show that they, you know, can possibly, uh, you know, go go a little bit higher than just a flash in a pan. Yeah, and, and I think there's 
especially with the depth, like you don't need everyone to hit, right? You just, you just need a couple guys to show that they can play reasonable snaps uh, behind Ebiketti and Isaac, assuming Ebiketti and Isaac are able to hold up sort of their end of the bargain there. Uh, Fisher is, is uh, an you know, excellent example to bring up for, you know, a guy transitioning to defensive end who just a ridiculous athlete for someone that size. And another guy you can just tack all the weight in the world you want on to and seems going to you know, retain the shape he's in in the athleticism he has. So, yeah, I, I think the defensive line in general is going to be a strong suit for Penn state this year. It's hard to envision maybe them hitting the levels of production that, that they, they had last year, right. With shock Tony, I think had four sacks and only, only the nine games. Uh, Adafi Owe was consistently pressuring the quarterback. I know everyone harps on the facts that he had zero sacks. He was, milliseconds away from sacks several times he could have had four against indiana but michael Penix, to his credit heard away coming and immediately bailed like immediately got the ball out of there there were you know it was it was snap and pass like it was instant because they they sort of knew away was coming and tony was getting good pressure that game so i think sacks can be pretty misleading uh hits pressures all those sorts of things are, are more valuable and when you watch the game you can see the impact yeah. that was having like he was yeah opponents were game planning for Adolf Aoway. Like they did not want him yeah. to be getting near their quarterbacks. And, and that's what I, I you know, it's funny that, that you, that you bring up Oda Aoway. Um, the fact that one, he was, I mean, what did he, how many pressures did he had that first game, like 11 or 12, something too, ridiculous like that. Too many to count. And, and people don't understand, like when, when Wink Martindale, the Ravens defensive coordinator, he said, sex are aren't everything and people in Baltimore flipped out about it and I'm sitting there like he's right though sex really aren't everything like sex only told tell part of the story they don't tell the whole story because you could have a guy that's eating up like seven guys that's a defensive tackle that's you know causing the outside linebacker to clean up and get the sack how much did the outside linebacker really do except for getting a free lane to the to the quarterback you know, or for instance, you know, if everybody's scheming for Odafe Owe, you have he's going up through the middle sometimes on on stunts and he's taking up a guard and a tackle or he's taking up a guard in the center or something or a running back's coming up to help on a chip. And he's taking up all those guys. But then Shaka Tony cleaned up. What does that tell me about Odafe Owe? You know, and I think they they maybe have schemed. Maybe teams schemed a little bit better for him, but really, did they? <laughs> That's my question. How how well did they actually do, considering the, the impact that he made on the game multiple times? Right, and and some of the impact is just the sheer fact that he was their focus. So, like like you said, he would draw the the running back chipping off the edge. He would draw the tight end getting the shot in before he goes out on the route. Like he was the one getting the special treatment. So even the, the sheer fact that they would game plan for him, I think, indicates how good he was. Uh, but that's to just bring it back to this year's team. I think that's the kind of impact Isaac might be able to have, or even potentially yeah. Eddie, because they're going to be really good off the edge. Ebiketti, especially, like you said, he's a veteran guy. He's been through this before. He transferred in from Temple. Uh, getting into Penn State strength and conditioning program for an offseason is probably going to help quite a bit. Uh, it is it is not a secret how good uh, of a job Dwight Gold has sort of done getting these guys ready to uh, – not, not just ready, but getting them to perform uh, at a high level from an athleticism and strength standpoint. 
So if he gets stronger and faster after being pretty good at Temple and being really good this past year, uh, that might be the best defensive player they have this year. I'm not betting on that. I wouldn't say that's a guarantee, but I do think that the the ingredients are there with Abiketti to to be you know the the team's leading rusher uh, or leading pass rusher, or whether that's sacks, hurries, hits, pressures. Uh, what, however you would like to measure it. I think he has a chance to be the most impactful edge they have. Isaac is probably the favorite still, but, I, you know, Ebiketti gets enough, uh, you know, work in the, in the weight room and enough, uh, you know, takes enough of a leap, then, then there's upside there too. So while he's not as good against the run as Isaac is, I think he might have equal or more pass rushing upside. And that's dangerous because we'll talk about in a couple of weeks here when we, we get to the secondary, you free up the secondary to, to drop seven into coverage and the, the second and third level to drop seven into coverage because you can get pressure with four. The other team's going to be in some trouble. Uh, now the question will come against those Iowa's against the Wisconsin's how they hold up against these just mauling power run teams, but against more modern offenses against more passing offenses, Penn State's pass rush should be in really good shape this year. But yeah, that, so that that ability on the edges is going to be so important. It might, you know, I don't want to say define the season, but it, it could have a pretty massive impact. Um, you know, there there's a lot to look forward to in the future for for Penn State uh, football, especially along the edges with those younger guys we mentioned too, like Zariah Fisher and Smith Filbert. But uh, there there's also some consternation over Penn State football. Uh, and, and the potential future of, of one of a uh, one of the team signees in the 2021 class, right? Like this is uh, this is new territory for Penn State because, frankly, they usually don't get guys this good at baseball to to commit to them. Uh, you know, the, the program is it's a northern school, right? And we we know baseball is is a year round sport for a lot of guys now. So uh, high school kids flock to southern schools. That being said, Lonnie White Jr. from Malvern Prep in Pennsylvania signed with Penn state in the 2021 class goes in competitive balance round B at number 64 overall to the Pittsburgh pirates and the MLB draft on Monday uh, and creates a bit of a situation, right. For Penn state. I, I, he was one of their, their, their better recruits they got in this past class. He is a, a very good wide receiver. Uh, I think he's listed at six, three, like two ten. He's already physically mature from that standpoint. He's a really good athlete. He played quarterback, uh, for a while in, in high school because they needed him to. I talked to Malvern Preps uh, head coach and, and he said basically that this uh, this is a kid that would do whatever they needed him to do, right? He was willing to just help out the team and that was playing quarterback for a little bit. And guess what? He was a really good quarterback. So it's not uh, too much of a surprise that he is uh, a, an elite athlete at baseball too and, and went that high. He was rated more highly by some publications. I've, I've seen him as high as like the top 35 at some point in this draft process. Goes at 64, presumably. We don't have to dive too deep into the, the sort of machinations of the baseball draft because it's a weird animal. It's not like uh, hockey, basketball, and football because of you know bonus pools and the way things get spread around. But essentially, he falls to number 64, goes to the Pirates. Uh, the slot for that, uh, the, the bonus slot for number 64 is $1.05 million dollars. It would probably take around double that, if not more, to get him to not go to Penn State and play football and baseball, which he plans to do both at Penn State if he does that. Uh, but the Pirates took uh, Henry Davis at, at number one overall. They they saved money, according to reports, on that signing from I think it was an eight point seven million dollars slot uh, that was there. So if that is if they sign Davis for six and a half million, that's two and a half million they can spend elsewhere. You know, so on and so forth. Now. 
this is a real complicated sticky, like whatever you want to call it. This is, this is sort of not easy to figure out. Right. Uh, the pirates second pick was also a star uh, high school kid who has the option to go to college who could theoretically be difficult to sign uh, and, and, you know, take some of that money that the pirates were going to give to, to white or others from that first slot savings. Uh, and so he could take some of that there there. I believe it was their fourth pick after Lonnie white was Bubba Chandler, who's committed to Clemson to play quarterback and baseball. So another guy who is going to take extra money to sign them. So I think if, if you had asked me right after white was taken uh, at 64, I would have said, Oh, he's probably signing just based on the, what we know about the situation, everything. But once you saw the Pirates take Bubba Chandler and sort of take a bunch of shots on these guys who might be harder to sign, yeah. but they have the extra bonus pool money, I think it I think it makes it more interesting. That being said, so the consequences, just to, again, get more of the lay of the land here, the consequences for the Pirates, right, if they don't sign Lonnie White, they lose the money for his slot at number 64. So that $1.05 million that, that is slotted to that pick goes away from their bonus pool, so they can't give it to other guys. And if they if they don't get, I believe they don't get a pick in next year's draft as compensation if they don't sign them like you usually would, because it's what's called a competitive balance round, which is these rounds in the draft. I think there are two of them given to small market teams, giving them an extra higher pick uh, and a little bit more bonus money. So it is a, I mean, it's really interesting. Like I, I don't, you know, not not speaking from, you know, uh, any sourced information here, but like. I think this is, I don't know that this is over. I would think he ends up playing baseball because I mean, that's a lot of money to turn down, you know, and they took him at number 64 overall, but after, after the pirates took Chandler, I, I don't think this is a guarantee. And I, 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 just to sort of get someone else's opinion on this word, given what we know, where do you think this ends up? Well, Bubba Chandler just confirmed on MLB Network just a few minutes ago that he's going to sign with the Pirates. So I, I think that throws an even bigger wrench in everything. Well, yeah, that's because, as if this wasn't complicated enough already. Yeah. And I I mean, I truthfully don't know. Now it's like, okay, if Bubba Chandler hadn't committed to signing with the Pirates already, you're like, maybe Lonnie go just immediately says, okay, well, Pirates are going to throw me all the money in the world, but I mean, with the with the amount of money that the Nuttings usually kind of, I don't feel like they they usually throw a lot of money around. So, um, unless the guy is like a sure hundred percent full thing, I mean, he's a sure thing. And I think, you know, Henry Henry Davis, of course. I think, you know, he to me, he's he's a great prospect, and it he's a hundred percent going to get the money that he deserves, but. You know, Lonnie White Jr. now, because Bubba Chandler is going to sign with the Pirates, does that put pressure on him to decide, okay, well, if this guy's not going to go play football, why would I go play football? You know, that that's kind of the other thing that might get thrown at us too. Because, I mean, maybe if they do give him more money, yeah. But at the same time, they're still going to give him life-altering money. Like, regardless of what happens, like Lonnie White's getting a, a guaranteed contract at the end of the day that he wouldn't get in playing going to college football so I, I think that if somebody told me as an 18 year old kid I'm going to offer you what is a, a you know two million dollars over the course of it's four signing, or five it's signing bonus. Yeah. you get that yeah, money just right a away signing bonus. spend it however you want 
Yeah, I and you know, I know my family would probably handle the money from me, so I wouldn't be doing stupid stuff with it. They'd probably give me an allowance. They'd say, "Hey, we'll give you, you know, we'll give you ten thousand dollars to start off, and you go ahead." And I, I don't know. I mean, me personally, I think I would say he would lean playing baseball too. Right. That that just kind of feels like the the logical conclusion to this like they're i don't know maybe we're, we're unless he bad. really loves football right which i mean plenty of people which i'm sure that. he does yeah and, and, and i mean like love football to the point that you know for a fact that like you will go to the ml you'll go to the nfl <laughs> and you are willing to work that hard to go to the nfl and then even if let's say he doesn't go to the nfl if he's at penn state does he play so well at Penn state that he gets drafted higher at Penn state than he is now? And I think like, that's a chance that I don't know if I want to necessarily take because second round is like incredibly high. Yeah. Num- number 64 overall is not like that. That is not insignificant, especially when you consider the fact that if he, if he goes uh, to the pirates, he's probably getting paid more than that. So he'd probably have to go in the first round uh, to match the money he would get now, potentially even the top half of the first round, depending on how the pirates are willing to deal with this. I, again, I doubt they would go that high, but you never know. Like it's, it's, it's crazy. And, and you mentioned the nuttings, you're right. They don't, they don't spend money on their baseball team as any pirates fan listening to this knows. And I, I you know, I uh, sort of can't complain as a Phillies fan, but you know, the uh, I understand where Pirates fans frustration comes from from that standpoint. But at the end of the day, they generally spend their whole draft pool that they're allowed. Right. Because this is like the market inefficiency in baseball. This is where you can spend very little money and get maximum return because these guys are under con- team control for six years once they get to the majors. Uh, but I just you know, I. I, every time I think about this and I'm thinking about like, well, you know, maybe he really does love football and he wants to go to Penn State and, uh, uh, you know, maybe this is uh, sort of what he the sport he wants to play, even though he loves both. Uh, I spoke to him in December. His parents are both athletes, uh, you know, they so they understand sort of what this is. Uh, but but even even Lonnie told me back in December that when he was younger, he just wanted to play baseball in college, right? Like it's, it wasn't until later that he decided he wanted to play football too. So this wasn't always uh, like, this wasn't someone who was like, I'm playing these sports, but both these sports all the time. His love for football came later. It might be his greater love at this point, but we just don't know. At the end of the day, he's still a kid uh, making it. <laughs> Honestly, I, he's in a great position. He's going to be financially set up for life. If he signs for the Pirates. He's going to have an awesome opportunity to play football in college if he doesn't. But I, I do not envy the decision he has to make right now because there are a lot of eyeballs on him and a lot of pressure, you know, I'm sure from both ends to make the decision that is more desirable for, for you know, their future. Uh, I if I had to, if I had to guess right now, I, I would say he signs with the Pirates just because of the, the 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 bonus money he would probably get, which I would guess would be over two million dollars based on uh, where he was projected to be drafted, and you know the the sort of uh, overslot money the Pirates should have available, uh, and and based on the fact that like when when we spoke in December, he baseball was his first love. It was the first game that he started playing. Um, and I think it would be a pretty big pivot now to, to give up that professional opportunity. But again, crazier things have happened, right. Than a, than a recent high school graduate changing his mind. Uh, so we'll see where that comes down. I think that's going to be a really interesting storyline to watch as, as things play out. He has to, I, I, 
rules usually are that it's August 16th at 11:59 PM that, that he would have to decide it might be August 15th, but either way that, that might be different this year because of the timing of the draft changed. But if that rule is still in place, he, he sort of has a finite amount of time to make a decision uh, and a crucial decision, you know, that, that again, I, I'm not all that envious of given the, the stakes at hand, but he wasn't the only uh, Penn State sort of Penn State signee, Penn State athlete uh, drafted. There were four guys taken by uh, four Penn State baseball players taken over the three day, 20 round draft. Uh, so, Kyle, what, what can you tell us about these four guys and, and what we know about them and where they're they're heading? First, we're going to start off with uh, Connor Larkin and uh, Larkin is a left handed pitcher who, you know, was drafted with the ninth. He was drafted in the ninth over, I mean, ninth round, I'm sorry, with the 274th selection. And, um, you know, Larkin actually, his his numbers don't tell the whole story. I think college ERA is, uh, is not as important as what people think it is. And I think ERA in general isn't as important as what people think it is because it's certain things that, you know, kind of deviate the process. Um, Listen, if you, you want know, to do a baseball analytics discussion, I'm your guy. I'm just saying, I'm oh, yeah, fully on board with everything you've said so far. And, um, you know, so one thing that he did that was very interesting. So, he, I mean, he had a 426 ERA, whatever. I mean, but his strikeouts per nine innings was uh, 10.1, which is, I mean, I'll take that any day of the week. And he struck out 191 batters and had a home run of nine per nine innings of 0.6. And he only allowed 10 home runs throughout his college career in 171 innings so I'll, I'll take that any day of the week um he's headed to the blue jays of course um so i i think that you know he he's a he's a very intriguing prospect he had you know a lot of guys they talked about spin rates and um you know his spin rate was was outstanding um i i think he's a guy that will you know, turn some heads. And I think that's, that's where it seems like an MLB draft this year, more than any other year that I see guys who didn't have great college numbers, they got selected because of their potential. And especially pitchers, a lot of pitchers didn't, their, their numbers weren't amazing, uh, earn run average wise, but we also got to keep in the, keep in mind, like how great were the fielders, you know, is this, uh, is this, um, ERA depend, I mean, independent of fielding, you know, if it, if it, if that is the case, then these guys would probably look better if there's better fielding behind them, you know? Um, so that he was number one, he was one of the guys I'm like, okay, that makes perfect sense that he got drafted as high as he did. And then another guy who got drafted, Justin Williams, he's a third baseman, six foot three, 215 pounds. He has a, uh, 96 career hits at Penn State, 20 doubles, one triple, and 11 home runs. And he started 86 out of the 95 games that he's appeared and adding 49 runs batted in and 53 runs. And then he got a 302 batting average uh, this, this season, had 42 hits with 12 doubles and five home runs and 23 RBI and 28 runs. And so he's actually only – I mean, he becomes the fifth Penn State – third baseman to be drafted and the third Nittany line to be picked up by the Astros. So he's another guy that, that has an intriguing bet. Um, he has some power. I think it'll be, it'll be interesting to see if he can develop. I mean, the Astros, 
despite all of the stuff that they've gotten in trouble for, I think they've always been a pretty solid organization when it comes to uh, developing prospects. You know, I think when George Springer was the guy, and I mean, these are, these are, you know, of course, high picks. I mean, you're going to land more times than not if you keep getting high picks, right? Like if you, if you get high picks, I understand is, is baseball and baseball is a little bit different. But if you continually get the high picks, they usually are able <laughs> to develop into pretty nice players, if not, you know, sometimes all-star to uh, Hall of Fame level players. So, And you can flip some of those guys. So, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what the Astros can do with his swing. Um, I like his I like his power. His arm strength is, is incredible. I mean, he has a cannon from third base, so that doesn't hurt one bit for them. Um, and then Kyle Verbitsky was drafted in the 17th round with the 518th pick by the A's. And so he made 52 appearances, had 19 starts with a 445 ERA, a nine and four record and 153 and two thirds collegiate innings pitch. And he's six foot seven, 230 pounds. You'll probably hear me talk about how big these last two guys are because they're huge, but 9.4 9.4 strikeouts per nine innings and then 161 total strikeouts on his career. He seems like he might be a long man to a reliever type of guy. And so the last guy is Bailey Dees. He's a right-handed pitcher, six foot eight, 250 pounds senior. Uh, got selected in the 18th round with the 543rd pitch. Um, I think he... You know, it's it's really interesting to see a guy like him too because he seems like he's going to be a um, he looks like he's going to be a starter most likely. I mean, he had forty three career appearances and started thirty three of his games. Um, he didn't have quite of of high of a uh, strikeout per nine inning, um, so he may be used as a reliever in and in, in pro ball. So we'll see what he can do. And I mean, he had a couple good starts against. Michigan, where he upset Michigan with uh, only allowing two runs in six and six and two thirds. And um, then he, Michigan was, by all, all intents and purposes, one of the best teams in college baseball um, at that point. Uh, they were the 18th ranked team. Um, then you had Rutgers, where he went six scoreless and had a 1 0 victory. So, you know, these are some guys that are really talented. And I think Penn State baseball. You know, if they can get it all to come together, if you got four drafted guys, I mean, it, that doesn't hurt you one bit. That, that means that you're, you're moving in the right direction. You have a ton of guys that can, you know, get things done who are looked at as highly talented prospects. It's just all about getting them to all play together in the, in, in the right direction in college. So, you know, maybe as time goes on, Penn State gets a little bit better uh, on the on the actual, I mean, on the baseball field, I think, um, you know, Coach Cooper is putting together a pretty strong team. So we'll see what goes on with them. And I, I think they can be a really good program. Yeah, no, I think the the most interesting thing will be if, you know, to go back to one of the things we already talked about, if Lonnie White decides to play football at Penn State, he's going to play baseball at Penn State too. And if he does that, that's arguably going to he's arguably going to finish as the best Penn State baseball player of all time pretty uh, pretty easily or at least the best Penn State baseball recruit of all time um but I think that's a good place to leave it this week we covered a lot of ground 
between the football and baseball teams and the, the intersection of that this week. Uh, you can find Kyle and I's writing at centerdaily.com. As always, you can subscribe to the Center Daily Times at centerdaily.com backslash sports podcast for a discounted rate. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. I am at John Sauber. Kyle is at Kyle J Andrews underscore. Uh, you know, you can, you can recommend this podcast to friends, recommend it to family, uh, spread it through word of mouth, tweet about it, tweet at us, do whatever you'd like. Uh, give us five-star ratings on and reviews on, on whatever podcast platform you choose. It's available at Google play stitcher, uh, Apple podcasts, Spotify, you name it. This is on that platform. Um, but thanks for tuning in uh, and have a great day.